Welcome to season three, episode one of this podcast series by the Program in International Nutrition at Cornell University, or as we call it, the PIN Podcast. In this series, trainees in PIN interview leaders and rising stars in the field of international nutrition and global health. Today on the podcast, our interviewers include myself, my name is Sam, and I am a postdoc in PIN, as well as some other PIN trainees. Hola a todos, yo soy Elisa. Hi, namaste, I'm Nidhi. Hi, I'm Kripa. So today on the podcast, we have Dr. Shweta Kandoval. Shweta is head of nutrition research at the Public Health Foundation of India, or PHFI, in Delhi. She is also the program manager of the Lancet COVID-19 Commission as part of the India Task Force. And she's a trained and experienced public health nutrition researcher working in the maternal child health and nutrition space in India for the past 17 years. Shweta teaches nutrition epidemiology, especially in relation to the growing burdens of overweight and obesity, as well as diet-related non-communicable diseases and their risk factors in the Indian population. So welcome to the podcast, Shweta. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me, guys. Great. To start us off, we would love to hear more about your earlier career trajectory and experiences, including your master's and PhD at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine in the UK, and your postdoc at Emory University and the CDC in the US. Thanks, Sam, for the question. So up until your master's, especially when you're, you know, a gold medalist, etc., you pretty much imagine yourself to be on the top of the world, right? Uh, so brimming with that enthusiasm, with that passion, and a tad bit of overconfidence, if I may say so, I landed up in Delhi. And I was very fortunate to quickly get accepted into a doctoral program. And I was mentored by Dr. Santosh and Pasi and Dr. Srinath Reddy who also actually gave me a whole in-depth, you know, that perspective about what a research study looks like, what is a research in real sense. Before that, when, you know, when you're a student, you always think it's something to do with writing, something to sit in an office, some papers we are reviewing and things like those. But when you actually go down and and see a study happening, I think it changes a lot of those uh, sort of notions. And uh, my my PhD work, like you, you mentioned, actually involved planning for executing, as well as publishing a factorial designed randomized control trial where we tested uh, omega-3 fatty acids, plant sterols, their combination or none on dyslipidemic Indian adults. And we wanted to study their impact on other NCD risk factors as well. And this study, uh, this four-year actually study with the factory workers was on the outskirts of Delhi. And this just happened at the time of my marriage, like those two things were parallelly happening. And so it was quite a combination, a little bit of challenging in the beginning and things like those. So, you know, right from the people skills to research acumen, suddenly you need it all. You feel like you have to be pleasing, a pleasing personality at home as well as in the office and do so much. So I think all this uh, required me to have this extra skill set of subject matter knowledge, because of which I tried to pursue my my second master's in public health from LSHTM. And I understood that the merely nutrition training in the Indian uh, universities was not fully enough to be able to equip me with the skills I required to undertake high quality research studies. And so therefore that supplementation from the London School really helped me a lot. after that, I went for a postdoc fellowship to Emory University, which further strengthened my skill set. And that was in nutrition epidemiology, uh, along with you know, Ray Marturald, Usha Ramakrishnan, R.A. Stein. And that was a very, very unique experience because I think it also got me started on this whole path of uh, 
high quality nutrition research and, and being passionate about that. So I came back to India after my postdoc and from then uh, my faculty position at PHFI and my research scientist position at PHFI actually started flourishing and it helped me sort of progress in a way that the most optimal way, I would say, with this training and mentorship that I got. Uh, now that I look back on those days, I'm, I'm really grateful for that mentorship that I, I received. I think it's very important in the early days to get good mentors and who, who still agree to stick by you. So you're doing something right then, right? <laughs> so back to you. Oh, that, that, that's a perfect lead point to my next question, because now I'll, we're really curious to know, okay, we know we got a little bit of an inside view on the training part. And now we're like, okay, how does a day in your life now? looks like uh, with the type of work that you do and the different sort of like interactions you have from research and policy and other collaborators? Yeah, so I think, Elizabeth, thank you for that question. But it has changed a lot during, especially thanks to COVID. Uh, The days have really, what it used to look like in an office versus what it looks like at home. It's it's been a fair amount of transition, I would say. That nine to five routine, of course, doesn't work, as you will understand. But still, in general, if you you come to think of it, I think it buckets into three major segments. One is obviously the reading, writing time, which is, uh, you know, on alternate days, I try to read one day in terms of literature as well as write the second day or, or however it works for me. So that is a large part of my day, which I try to focus on and get things done. The second part is also preparing for talks. I think I, because of this virtual medium, we've been really doing a lot of uh, sessions and webinars and things like those. And we don't want to say no because it's an opportunity to engage. It's an opportunity to help build capacity to learn in turn as well. So there's a lot of talks which have happened over the past two years specifically. I think more than 110 talks or something in the last past two, two or three years that we've been through. So that's been a huge part uh, preparing for those because I don't like to just, uh, you know, come and use previous slides. I like to prepare something at least additional for a, for a fresh talk. There are also sort of uh, meetings of two kinds. One is about research thinking and, and talking about uh, what kind of ideas do we have for new grants and, and things like those, but also administrative and logistic meetings. And uh, as you mentioned about my role in the Lancet India Task Force, that's more on the secretarial side. So I have to do a lot of administration for that piece as well. So a part of my day goes in that too, Elizabeth. Wow, that sounds like a lot. And I heard the word grant over there. So Maybe we're not that super different <laughs> in terms of writing and reading. And that also gives me a little bit of an intro to the next question, which is from your perspective, your experience, doing all, not only during COVID, but throughout your uh, career path. Uh, and now, what do you think will be the main priorities or challenges for the years to come in the field of public health nutrition for India? Uh, That's a question that I think all of us (laughs) have been thinking about. And because I think this COVID wasn't something which unprecedented, like we said, right? And so a whole new range of innovative uh, options, solutions, guidelines, everything has emerged, and especially in the space of nutrition. So I think right now it's a lot of things to take in, build evidence, because there have been huge data gaps, as you will understand, because physical surveys were stopped and there was the data collection got hampered. There was surveillance and monitoring issues like gaps in that as well. So I think use of technology 
is something which I foresee as a big facilitator of all this in, in the future. So how do we integrate using digitalized uh, sort of modes for whether it's data collection, whether it's monitoring evaluation, whether it's mapping the GIS, which is happening these days and, and things like those. So I think that is a big future uh, sort of investment question, I feel. The second is also about the quality of research. So every time, I'm, I'm not saying it's set in stone because I don't think there is any gold standard, but, and you can always improve, right? So I, another piece which is uh, there is, in addition to the use of technology, using innovative ways to improve your research, right? So that also I think in nutrition is required because people are changing, diets are transitioning, the ways of eating are transitioning, the choices are transitioning. So there is a lot to keep up with. So that innovative element is very, very crucial here uh, is what I think. And keeping people at the center of this, because as of now, we are only, you know, like computers or robots discussing this with each other and, and making policies for people whom we've not even met. But there is importance of keeping people at the heart of this. And I think that also in public health nutrition matters a lot. So what's happening on the ground is something which would inform the future research as well, right? Great. So you kind of outlined two main prongs of challenges in the future uh, research in India or nutrition research in India, um, including technology and then just innovation to improve nutrition research overall. Um, so I was wondering, what do you think are the main skills for graduate students, young professionals, postdocs today to kind of get under their belt and learn to help meet those challenges that you mentioned? I think we are all acquiring these skills as we speak, but uh, in terms of the experience that I have so far, I think investment in communication is very important. Uh, being adept at communications in different ways, like we were talking earlier, uh, brevity, where it's required in few hundred, like few words versus paragraphs versus a report or a paper, that ability to transform your ideas very quickly into, into succinct sort of, uh, you know, meaningful conversation is, is uh, something which I think the younger students can pick up very early on rather than coming at our stage and learning. So that is something if you get a chance to invest in your communication skills, that should be your go-to thing. The other thing is I don't think there is any shortcut for subject matter knowledge. I know all of you guys and even my own son uh, feels that everything is like Googleable. I mean, just find it there, you know, and, and why do I need to uh, record this all here? So I think it's important to realize that the subject matter knowledge only deepens and richens your, enriches your uh, perspective a lot. And it's important to read. It's important to be very strong on those grounds. So don't find shortcuts to like take research some and just listen to that. I, I wouldn't be, or maybe some people advise that, but I wouldn't do that. I would rather that we spend time on two papers only, but let's go over those papers in detail and understand them and things like those. So that's important. The third is also about transferable skills. So it's not necessary many times you will realize now that people will keep continue working in silos, like people who, who were working on cancer will continue working on cancer because there is so much which is evolving every day. There is this whole deluge of information that's coming by. So it's important to develop transferable skills, something which you can work across the board with and things like those. So those are some of my to-dos for the younger people. And also please remember, don't overcome it. 
please don't overcome it for any reason to be sweet to be nice or whatever but don't overcome it and remember nobody's going to hold your hand when you come in the job sphere per se and be always there hand holding and this and that so self motivation also if you're always looking for some parent in the organization to carry you to the next step uh, that's not going to work self motivation and no overcommitment that also is important i'll stop at that here Thank you so much Shweta those are really insightful and really helpful advice on skills for us which leads us to my next question which is when you were a student or in your career so far what is the best advice that you have received my best advice was very recent i'll tell you the one which is stuck with me there was a big grant i had applied for a fellow fellowship and uh, i cleared the first few stages you know the, the los stage the writing stage but at the interview stage i wasn't found to be successful like i wasn't shortlisted uh, of course i was a tad bit disappointed it was a year or more than a year long work that you put in for a big grant and fellowship application right uh, and my dad only said one thing so <laughs> he said sometimes you win sometimes you learn and that's about it these six words but they just stuck with me there is no word of disappointment there's no word of failure it's just about whether you're learning or you're winning so it's okay i think that is what is a piece of good advice and this in other words like one of the podcasts which i was hearing before some motivational speaker he also said that people when they come across to you they can only offer two things results or reasons and remember that reasons won't count so only <laughs> you invest in in showing some result and how will that happen if you will keep moving forward in life and you will take everything as a stepping stone to to the next stone and and learn so i think that's those are some advice which have stuck with me and i feel that they've at least shaped my perspective to be more productive rather than being disappointed or disillusioned that is very interesting sometimes you win and sometimes you learn it is a nice way to think about success and failures we are almost towards the end of our podcast and before we wrap up i just have two questions for you and you can answer in whichever order you prefer what is the best thing about your job and what is the worst thing i think there are many pluses and minuses i'm sure but right now what i can think from the top of my head in terms of worst first is that uh, whatever i do today tomorrow like in a couple of days doesn't change things on the ground like just like that so what i would want to <laughs> you know i know that the child i know 70000 kids are born in india each day i know 18% of them are low birth weight i know so many will die uh, in the neonatal mortality period and things like those but our work will not change that just now so i think that's something which it's not the worst part but something which could have been uh, you know better or quicker i i hope in terms of the best part i think it's work satisfaction it pays all right reasonably good uh, it's also flexibility which i get to decide my own pace i think that's an important factor and somewhere it empowers me as a woman i think that's my my best my son for example is very proud of me and that's what matters to me and i have seen him do this uh, wherever he has to introduce his parents he would always go with me first <laughs> so i really feel very proud about that this whole space of nutrition has given me an identity a recognition for my own self i'm not talking that i am known to other people in the world but at least to my own self i feel that yes i'm doing something important and when i put my head to sleep i feel satisfied and then so that's my best part 
Well, I can't ask for anything more than that. I think that about wraps it up. So I'll say thank you, Shweta, for joining us today. Really great to learn about everything you've done and are doing. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. And thank you to the listeners of this podcast. Stay tuned for more insightful conversations with amazing health researchers in international nutrition and global health. So thank you for listening. And many thanks to Elena Kerki for our theme music.